Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I was, I was back east. I was talking about that earlier. And I love my friends back east. They're great. But there is no way in hell. First of all, Joanne, the lovely Joanne's moving out in December. There is no way in hell I would move back there. Unless there was like like a big radio job there, I would do it. And then, then I could parlay it to doing all the comedy clubs there and headline and make a shitload of money and buy a house down the Jersey Shore. But they, I'm telling you, the weather people. Well, I was there in the winter. You remember when I talked about in the winter how freezing it was? But it's. Okay. Burbank was hot last week. I missed 100 degree weather. Me and my guests were talking about the humidity, but he's from Chicago, so we'll be talking about that. There is humidity back east. But what killed me was, honestly, for two and a half weeks, every single day at five o'clock, it would rain. And I'm not talking California rain where it just like drizzles. I'm talking hardcore thunder, lightning, and rain. And Joanne would be coming from work trying to take me to go to the gym. And you know, I mean, that's not my favorite place to go. I just started going. But you you really lose, you lose any, um, I can't even think of the word, uh, instinct. Oh, not instinct, whatever. Initiative. You, you lose all your initiative when it's raining. It just sucks. Anyway, enough about that. I, I, I'm, I have a good guest on today. It's funny. I met him at a bar and he had, he was at this place, Volcano, and him and this guy, John Karabi, they were sitting there and they had long hair. And I said, and they, and I, and they had tattoos. And I said, I bet they're magi- uh, musicians, and I and I, I love I love the old heavy metal stuff and like that. And I walked up, and it turns out he was a magi- magician. And since I'm trying to get new, I'm saying my last guest is a magician, so I keep saying you know. But I so I went up and and down. It's guy it was a year ago. He's on now, and it's Troy Patrick Farrell. How you doing, Troy? What's happening, Steve? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's cool. No, it's cool because I remember when I was talking to you guys, and then it turns out Karabi is, is a Philly guy. Yep. And now now you're a Chicago. You said you're from Chicago. Yeah, Northwest Indiana, but uh, you know I cut my teeth uh, playing the Chicago rock scene, Thirsty Whale. Cabaret Metro, all the old cool clubs that are now uh, starting, you know, starting to see their way out. Now, at what point? It's funny you say that because there was a big, there was a huge heavy metal place in New Jersey where Cinderella was a house band and mm-hmm. Bon Jovi was called the Galaxy. Okay, and yeah. now it's a. I drove by it when I was back there. It's a veterinarian, and it's like, wait, there's like, and, and Britney Fox was a band there. Sure, sure. And, and there's a band called Heaven's Gate. I don't mm-hmm. know, Reggie Wu, who's went to my high school and he's the teacher uh guitar teacher back there but it was like such a legendary and for someone for like you you know we'll get into your career but that must suck when you see like like when the comedy works in comedy factory island philadelphia closed it, it takes like a piece out of you for you it must suck like some of these bands were like you were just a young kid yeah. you know banging on the drums and playing when you know i mean does it does it make you sad when like clubs where you like got your teeth cut in closed does yeah that, does it make i mean it just must suck yeah for sure you know uh, the thirsty whale was the place to play in chicago um and so when you were a younger band you'd get to play the all ages shows and then once you sort of graduated and kind of earned your keep you got to play the all ages and the over 21 show okay and now the thirsty well is a like a shell gas station or something it, so it's, it's 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 quite a bummer you know because that was uh definitely the, the center of the scene out there for us was that do you think it closed because the the music uh the music tempo changed people just said you know or just because people just don't go to see live bands as much i mean what would i mean why would it close i mean it seemed very popular just it just stopped doing business or you know i i think it's a combination of everything but i think the type of music that like a place like the thirsty away was doing was you know that stuff that kind of hair rock and they would do some metal bands and stuff there too but um you know with the music climate sort of changing and with uh rock and roll, you know, 80s bands sort of kind of being nostalgia acts these days, a place like The Whale can exist because I don't think they embrace the new music. And I think because they weren't able to change and they were just kind of stuck in supporting what they, you know, what I grew up playing and, and doing, um, they found themselves, 
running out of business, you know. And, and and sometimes other, you know, club owners get older and they just decide just to, to get out and, you know, listen, if you got McDonald's and a Shell gas station offering you, right. you know what I mean? You're thinking about your kids, you're thinking about retirement. And, and, yeah, and that's a long, I mean, it's it's a hard, it's a hard gig owning a club. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. hours and hours. And people don't, the people think, oh yeah, they just go in the hangout. But no, it's like you're there day and night and you have to deal with all the crap and the staff and, yeah. and with the metal and, you know, you know, just the crowds and people drinking and any rock and roll band. Sure. You know, it's that lifestyle, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's so, 24-7. Yeah, so now, how, now, did you always want to be a musician? Like, when you were a kid, I mean, how did you, and how did you gravitate towards the drums? I mean, was it, when you were a little kid, you just started beating on something and said, this is awesome? Or, I mean, how did you get into that? Yeah, you know, um, there was always a lot of music in, in my family. My uh, my father had tons and tons of vinyl and um, would always, you know, play, you know, music around the house, record player and stuff like that. We'd go to Hegwish Records, which is like an old school, you know, people kind of have like Amoeba today or, right. you know, Tower on Sunset that, you know, that's gone. Hegwish Records was the place that we would go for vinyl and that, and they were a holdout for a long time, just as, you know, CDs were starting to come. Hegwish was still trying to stick on to imports and stuff like that, but eventually they got gobbled up by, you know, the new media and stuff right. like that. But, um, and my brother Sean is—he's uh, a bass player, and my brother Scott played some guitar in, in like the high school band and stuff like that. And so there was always music happening in my house: Dio and Aerosmith and Thin Lizzy playing at seven o'clock in the morning, Van Halen before we were getting ready for school. So I grew up on on rock and roll because of my brother. And uh, when I was twelve, he took me to my first show. Uh, it was Dio and Rough Cut. You know, wow, for a twelve-year-old, that's a crazy. It was awesome, and my brother scored some great seats. And once I saw, you know, uh, Vinnie Appice hitting the drums, I was like, "That's what I want to do." It really talk to me you know it's really weird like the concerts back then I remember I, I remember when I was in high school I went to see a concert and it was Def Leppard and they only, they only had On Through the Night and the song Wasted mm -hmm. and then it was the Scorpions and it, they were on the Love Drive tour and then the headliner was uh, Ted Nugent okay. who you know hey whatever people get on his politics the guy put on a hell of a show he came yeah. swinging off in a loincloth swinging from stage and it just you, you would sit there and watch it and now you live it but it, you sit there and watch it and it was just it's just amazing just the the spell bands cast on a live audience that you have you know 25 40,000 people who are singing you know as the song comes out and they know like you drum they know you know they're air drumming yeah. and it's just it's amazing I mean so you just I mean did Dio just enthrall you and because I mean he was a very little man I didn't know he was that short he's small wasn't he's, he he's a little guy with probably the biggest voice in rock yeah, and roll for saying. sure but you know they you know that show um gosh it was 83 I think um they had this like laser dragon come down, and you know uh, Vivian Campbell shooting it with uh, you know a laser off his guitar. Or was that uh, Craig Goldie? Uh, anyway, you know it was it was such a big show, you know. So I was just amazed by the whole thing. But the drums were so big. And I, I just like instantly gravitated towards the drums. That's what I was going to ask you because also I remember I don't know if you ever saw Blue Oyster Cult, but their big thing was the Godzilla when yeah. they did the drum. It was like a fifteen minute drum solo. <laughs> yeah, and he had the Godzilla mask. And also for drummers, because my brother played the drums. Mm -hmm. The other big drum solo you think when you know when you think of classic drum solos is uh, the, the Led Zeppelin live album, the Moby Dick. Yeah, it's like a. It's like the whole side is a is that <laughs> yeah. is Moby it's Dick. Just, it's all bottom, song. And it's, yeah. yeah. So did as a kid. So when you when you're 12 and you start taking the drums, did you sit there and go, I want to be a professional drummer? Or did you think you know, well, I might do this? Or I mean, how did how does you know? Because as a music musician, it, it's you really have to learn. Drumming is very very hard. I mean, that, that, it's the funny thing is of all the stuff, I think it's the hardest because you have to use everything. You have to yeah. use your feet. I might mean, just try to get on my brother's drums. I look like one of Jerry's kids. I was yeah. like, <laughs> I, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, how the hell is he? 
beating with this, the hi-hat, then he's hitting the hi-hat, then he's hitting this, and then he's hitting this, and then you pull out the brushes, yeah. and, all that, and it's like, I mean, did you, I mean, you had to really start practicing a lot probably as a kid. Yeah, you know, um, it, it came pretty naturally to me, you know, the syncopation and, and having, you know, being able to do all those different things at the same time. And, uh, you know, I had good friends in school that were a little bit more advanced than I was. They were already playing drums for a okay. couple of years. And so, you know, I was like, hey, man, show me a, just show me a beat. And then eventually I got my first drum kit. And my mom was like, all right, well, let's see if you're serious. Let's, you know, we went and got a, this cool Ludwig kit for like 100 bucks, you know, off of uh, the recycler or whatever it was back there. Uh, and um, so anyway, we got the kit, got my first kit, and that was it, man. I, it was no stopping from there. I started taking lessons. And um, got another drum set. I remember getting, like, my dad called me. He's like, yeah, they're here. We ordered from Pearl. Okay. You know, they had, like, these three kits. And it was, like, black, white, or chrome. And I got the chrome one, seven pieces. And it showed up at the office. And, man, I freaked out. It was awesome. You know, so set them up in the living room. Eventually moved out to the garage. Started having bands. And it just it just went from there, you know. Now, did you join, like, the high school band or a marching band or any of that stuff to, to – Get the band to get your drum more drum practice or no? You know, I I didn't I didn't do drum line or anything, and I wish I did because I really love it. But it that's a whole different animal. Those guys that do like you know Tommy Lee did that Tommy Lee going to college thing, you know, and he auditioned for drum line and um, he had a hard time with it. And he, this is Tommy Lee from right. Motley Crue, you know, exactly. But it really is a different animal, and um, so I, I wish I had been able to go into that. I think it might be too late for me now, but uh, you know, it's never too late to learn something new. But I um, was playing like for the the choir band, you know. So when there'd be like a play or a performance with the uh, you know choir, I would be playing drums behind it, you know. So that that's kind of the participation I had in school. So now you're you're starting bands in high school. Yeah. Okay. Now so now when you get out of high school, what what is your path? Because do you sit there and go, okay, I want to I want to have a band, or I want to get in a band, or I mean, what do you do when you get out of high school? You're 18. You're an 18 year old drummer. Yeah. Now did you always have long hair? Yeah, since I was twelve. Okay, you, have, you never got it. Have you have you ever had it short? Like you know, I cut it back in two thousand and one. I cut it short. Like, what was that like? You know, it was kind of liberating, man. It really was. Because I used to have, I used to have like the Dave Collier hair, uh -huh. and then I got it all cut off. And it, and it, it's you're, and for you, when because you're very long hair. I, a lot of times, like when you shampoo, it must have just totally changed because you're it's gone. I mean, that's like. It's long hair. Yeah, you know, uh, Mike Tramp, uh, singer White Line. I, I was, I, that's that was my first uh, tour with him. I did a solo tour with him back in 2001, and and I had like the long hair, and then I kind of cut it, you know. But I didn't really cut it. It was kind of half-ass, like you know, right. cutting it. And he goes, dude, he goes, just you know what, just cut it and start over, or you know, if you want, you know. And so I, I went for the. He paid for it. I mean, I cut. I went short. I could have been, you know, saying, you know, you want fries with that order you know wow what I mean? it really could have been working anywhere and I, you know i got photos of that and it, but it was liberating it was really cool and then i started you know kind of growing it out again and you know here we are well there was a trend though for a while at that time that like i think kip winger started like all these guys were getting their hair cut yeah. it was really you were so used to the long hair and then it was cut and you're like wait a second that's the cool thing about heavy metal bands yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah. The, the head banging you know you can't bang your head with no hair unless you're like <laughs> unless you're like rob halford and he's bald so he can do it then yeah 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 so you so 18 so you leave so now what what is your first band when you're out of high school and when, and when you sit there and go i want to start taking this really seriously well you know i was in a band um you know basically in high school called brats and we were the band from indiana um you know we, we were playing the chicago scene and there were okay. so many bands from indiana playing chicago saying they were chicago's hottest this chicago's and i'm like you guys aren't from chicago you guys are from indiana what are you talking you guys are from hammond you know so we sort of kind of took that and said hey let's 
let's really promote that we're from Indiana. Okay. Let's Smart. play up the cows, the this, that, you know. So, you know, our slogan was there's more than corn in Indiana, which was the Indiana State slogan. We started using that. We were taking pictures with hay coming out of our mouth. And we really separated ourselves from everybody saying they're from Chicago because, you know, you're in Chicago, whatever. You're from, you, you're not sitting outside the box. So we, we took that and, um, and uh, went with that for a few years, played all the clubs and played some colleges and, you know, really, you know, made the most out of it. Got on some compilations, recorded some demos and CDs or cassettes back in the day. And uh, the bass player and I decided, um, I had already had a best friend living out here. And he's like, dude, you got to come out. I'll get you in a band. And um, he convinced me and uh, my, my friend and I to move out here. And we drove out here April of, jeez, uh, 90, what year was it? 92. April of 92 came right out of high school and drove straight here now in brats yeah was with a z no no it was a b-r-a-t with an exclamation point so okay. that was yeah <laughs> now were you doing all originals all originals we did like a beatles cover and uh you know we did something else yeah we did like lucy in the sky with diamonds but it was all original now who wrote our, our bass player his name was his name was holly days that was his <laughs> his name and it's so funny you think about it back then it was so cool back then he goes well maybe it wasn't so cool but uh yeah so holly his name is mark and then the, our guitar player bobby was writing and we had a couple different singers and uh, our second singer really kind of took us he was super talented play guitar and was a great singer so um you know we we got a lot of mileage out of that little band we were in the magazines and okay. won some contests you okay know. so you, you had a name we so, had it going yeah yeah we had and, a thing and i'm sure i mean i guess it's like any business if you know in that niche of music if you're like an up-and-comer people probably know about you yeah yeah so when you came to la you drove out now so that was the end of brats that yeah that i mean that band had sort of uh you know kind of fizzled out uh about 91 and uh the bass player and I were looking to do something, and uh, my, my friend Rick was like, dude, come out to L.A. It's awesome, you know? And I was like, Mom, I'm going to L.A. And she's like, okay, okay. And then we, he pulls up with the U-Haul, and I'm like, Mom, I'm really going to L.A. She's like, all right, listen, I don't want you to say, what if? I don't want you to go, you're right. my baby, but I don't want you to sit here six months going, what if I would have gone to L.A., you know? And so that really pushed me to, to take a chance to come out here, and I've been out here ever since. Now, had you ever been to L.A. before? never been outside of the city of chicago other than you know going to wisconsin right. or you know florida for you know weddings and funerals and stuff like that but but no not not like this man so what do you what do you guys do you just come out here do you have any did you do any research like we might move here or where where did you end up moving uh we ended up moving to um it was uh los in, in los feliz um our old manager uh who her name is margaret she uh, she was managing our band she was working at a magazine called the chicago rocker and she really kind of put us under her wing and really you know helped us out she was living out here as well so I had my best friend Rick living out here. I had our manager living out here. She was living in like a single. Okay. And um, so we moved in with her. So it's her, my buddy, you know, the bass player and myself all living in this like single. And um, so we were there for about two, three months. And then we moved to North Hollywood, um, right down the street from FM Station. If you remember that, you know, that's uh, Lancashire and uh, Victory, Victory and Lancashire. Wait, what, what, what's what down the street? FM Station was there. Well, FM Station was a, a big valley rock club. I didn't know. That. Okay, I, yeah. I, I, that's probably before I moved out. Filthy McNasty, yeah. That's oh, okay, funny. I heard my yeah. my buddy used. To, okay, Is yeah. it, okay. So you lived right down there. Yeah, I was living right there, right across from the captain's cabin. Um, captain's cabin is just, I think it's still called that, but it's all Hispanic. You know, they have like mariachi bands. And stuff okay. Now, I, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's right next to the Apoyo Loco. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know exactly. It's it's there's a light there, and okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, that's I, that I was. Walk, a, 
That was a rock club. There was the captain's cabin wasn't really right. It was kind of a bar, but they would have a you know they have bands in there. And I walk in there, and um, I see um, <laughs> Duke Fame, you know, that from Spinal Tap, which is Paul Shortino. Paul Shortino was the singer of Rough Cut, my first concert. So I walk in there, and I'm like, oh my god, that's Duke. That's the guy from Spinal Tap, the movie. You know, that's Duke Fame. That's Paul Shortino singing in this little like wow. Blue. It was so. I'm calling my brother. I'm like you you're not going to believe this, you know? And then Mitch Perry was playing guitar, and, I, you know, I think, like, Phil Susan was playing bass. I'm, like, walking in to this little kind of crappy old-timers bar with these guys singing. That's crazy. It was I, awesome. Yeah, I, I heard there's also, though, there's the, the they used to have, a, like, a heavy metal jam at the, when the baked potato was in the valley. Yes. Yeah, yeah, well, was there another location? Baked potatoes on Vine. That's still open. Well, it's on. Uh, it's not on Quanga. Oh, it's it? on Quanga. Yeah. Oh, no, they have one in Hollywood. Oh no, I guess the one on Quanga then. Yeah. But is that still open? Yeah, yeah. Do they still do that heavy metal thing? Well, they they do all sorts of stuff there. But yeah, I mean, they they do you know rock guys. Uh, I know like the guy from Tools got a band that goes in there and and does some stuff, and then the blues and you know they do everything in there still. Okay, yeah. so so you're out here now. What band do you join first? Because you're no, and do you, do you stay? Is it, are you? Is it a package deal? You and your bassist, or no, you? no? You know, um, I was supposed to join uh, this this girl singers uh, band, and that was all set up, and then that never really came to fruition. So I started looking in, uh, you know, BAM magazine, and started looking uh, in, in different music magazines. Uh, music Connection, I think, is where I found my first gig, and it was with a guy named Todd Howarth, and uh, Todd was uh, in a band called Seven O Seven back in the day. And I think he really kind of um, came to light when he was playing with Ace Frehley and Ace Frehley's okay. Comet. So Todd, Howler, Todd Howarth was the second guitar player and was singing, you know, sort of, you know, one-third of the songs on Ace Frehley's Comet, you know, okay. material. And that was my first kind of band. We had a band called uh, Wet Camp, which I don't know what that means, but hey. it was called Wet Camp. And then we went to, to Hardware, and we did a couple albums. And, uh, you know, it was cool. Todd was playing with uh, Cheap Trick, playing keyboards at the time. So, and I'm a huge trick fan so i got to see cheap trick and everyone the says that guy the uh, rick nielsen's like an amazing guitarist or, or you know some people say he sucks too I, I you know um i think if you're i think he's an amazing guitar player you know but i think there's you know guitar you know i guess purist or whatever that thinks he they can say he's sloppy but i think that's it's part of his charm it's yeah a cheap trick i i have a, I, I know a guy like that i, I don't i used to be friends but i don't talk to him anymore because he's a real idiot but he <laughs> uh he loves metal but he's like He's one of those people, and it's weirdly musicians, like, I love Bruce Springsteen. And when Springsteen, when Tom Morello gets on stage and plays Ghost of Tom Joad, yeah. and it's a seven-minute, I think it's great. Yeah. I text back to Morello, and, oh, he's a hack. It's all smoke yeah. and mirrors. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, he's on stage with Springsteen. You're at home, and your boxer's practicing. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's so funny. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's so funny how in the, in, the, in the metal, there's so many people who aren't known who are just such great musicians, and people don't know who they are. And it's like, these guys are amazing. Like, like he's a big, friend, a big fan of... Uh, um, King's X. Yeah, I like, love King's and, X. And yeah. no one knows. Then I saw yeah. I saw a special on them. Like, where are they now? Or whatever. And yeah. like, everyone said they had all the making to be an amazing popular band, and just something happened. Yeah, you know, I think they, you know, sort of got lumped into, you know, the hair rock kind, you know, because they came out of that. But but they were, you know, and it's it's always uh, cliche to say, but it, you know, they were ahead of their time is kind of one of the things people, or they were just too far outside of the box. But they're 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 amazing. Totally made one of my favorite bands. King's now, X. have you always wanted to do metal? I mean, all, like since I mean, have you ever diversed away from that, or have you always said this is my music? This is what I love, and I'm just, this is what I love because I think I think metal. When you listen to metal, and I love metal and the glam stuff on it, yeah. 
I think the drummer has a much bigger part in them. I think it's the drummer, you know, you know, and that's like, like, that's when the first we start to get to know who drummers were. I mean, of course, you knew from the big bands who the drummers were, but then sure. you knew the Tommy Lees and the Ricky Rocket or uh, Ricky Rocket. Was he a drummer? No. Yeah, yeah, Ricky. Yeah, yeah Ricky. Yeah, I play his drums. In fact, he's a, he's a drum maker too. He's got oh really? Rocket Drum Works. He makes uh, the best American made drums. Yeah. But well, so you've always wanted to play heavy metal. You know, uh, heavy metal. I you know hard rock. I guess it depends on who you're talking to. You know, heavy metal was uh, to me is kind of like that, uh, I guess you know Judas Priest and stuff like that. I kind of grew up on uh, more of the you know, like a Doug Bon Jovi and Cheap Trick and Old Aerosmith and stuff like that. And I just, you know, that stuff just kind of talks to me. So um, I do take on other gigs when, when somebody calls me where it looks like, you know, one of these are not like the other where, like, I don't fit into right. the thing, you know, because it, it might be some kind of weird, uh, different music, different style, you know, mellow or pop or whatever. And, and I really like to expand and play something I'm not familiar with playing, you know, knowing, hey, I can do this, but I got to tone this down a little bit or I got to really use some dynamics and... And, uh, you know, maybe I'm just, you know, rim shot in a whole song, whatever. Yeah, I, I like to get outside of what I do, you See, know. that's cool. That's cool. That's, it stretches your talent, and it's you a challenge, I think. Because you probably, I mean, anything, you always want to get challenged. You know, it's like, for, for me, sure. that's why I bring in guests like you, cause, and, you know, or a writer. Are you or, saying I'm challenging to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's something different for me, because <laughs> yeah. I'm used to interviewing comics. And the thing is, with comics, I tell them, don't do bits. Mm-hmm. But for me, because I've always, I, I'm intrigued by music, because I, I love music. And unfortunately, I just suck at music. I mean, I, I wish I could play an instrument. I played a trombone in sixth grade, yeah. but I sucked at it. But now, so after the Ace Free, where do you go? I mean, because you're—I mean, you're in a band, and bands fall apart. Now, that must be—it's so funny. There's no unless you're like a huge, huge band, and even they fall apart. There's like there's no job security, so it's got to be like when you, as a person, when you see someone arguing the band, it must put an alarm on you sometimes. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, it, it's it—it it is a lot of work to get four or five guys in a room to to pl- not only play together but get along and yeah. and all sort of see the same direction together. I mean, it, you know, sometimes you sit there and look back and go, "This is amazing that." this is even happening because you've got four or five different personalities that, you know, and, and you've got four or five different egos. And uh, depending on, you know, how that all works out, it, it, it is sometimes impossible. You're just, you're amazed that, you know, when you're playing, you know, White Lion played a stadium in uh, Shillong, India for 42,000 people. And you sit there and you look around going, well, we're all doing this together. And it's a, it's a huge feat, man. You really, you know, oh, you can't yeah. take it for granted. So it is tough. Um, you know, so after after the hardware wet camp thing uh, failed, uh, I um, started a band called Dragon with two guys from Chicago. In fact, that I grew up playing with in the scene. So you I, knew them? Yeah, they they had moved out here, and wow. we met each other in a bar, and uh, we all knew each other from uh, you know playing the scene together. And uh, so we we did that and put out a couple of uh, independent albums. You know, uh, nothing that really got released anywhere. We just it was a self you know promoted kind of thing, and then. Um, after that, I, I started uh, working with Mike Tramp from White Lion. Now, how did I, how did you meet him? I mean, how does that how does that happen? Like, is it word of mouth, or I mean, because it's and they're a big band, and you know, and so, and did someone say, oh, you got to meet Troy, or someone said, oh, you got to meet Mike? You guys would you know work good together? How did how did that encounter come up? You know, there was a, a buddy of mine that was playing in a local band that I really dug. They were called Choking Ghost, and uh, his name was John. And I would go see them play. I was a fan of theirs. You know, I'd go see them play, and we became buds. And they were one of those bands that you sit there and go, how did they not make it? They, they really had a lot of cool things going on. And uh, they just never really broke out of L.A. But um, John had a, uh, had a buddy of his that was supposed to do this Mike Tramp solo tour in 2001. And his buddy's like, man, I can't be gone for six weeks. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've committed to it. 
And so he he goes, listen, I know a guy that would be perfect for it. So this guy, Bobby, gave me the information, and um, I went and picked up a CD, learned the three songs, went down and played with the bass player and guitar player, and they go, cool, um, you know, Tramp gets here in a week, and we leave, you know, in 10 days. Can you do it? I'm like, totally. Okay. Yeah, so it was just one of those things where somebody else couldn't do it, and I happened to just know a, a guy that, you know, he thought of me. It, it, you know, it was, a, it was a chance thing, you know? Is it, yeah, it's so weird. That happens so much, though. You know, you don't yeah. really think about it. You sit there and go, wow, it's like, yeah, if that guy... Your career could be completely different. You know what I mean? Absolutely, it's absolutely. Just, I mean, you know, I've been to forty countries with White Line, and uh, that could have been very different. So when you you go with Mike Tramp, mm-hmm. okay, now where is this tour in confidence? Now, had had you been on a big tour before? Or were you? I mean, you, back when you were with Bratz, you were playing like well, just Iowa, lo- local. Exactly. But had you been on a big tour like that? Nope. Okay, no, this was my first one. So. What was that like? I mean, it's, and you think about it. I mean, now where where was your tour going to be at? It was uh, North America, so okay. we you know, so we hit uh, you know some bars and grills. It was this was Mike Tramp's solo, so you know it was you know former singer of White Lion, you know, so you know we're playing clubs, we're playing to a couple hundred people a night, you know, sometimes less, and um, and then sometimes they would just promote it as White Lion, and there'd be a line out the door, and then people would realize, well, this isn't White Lion, you know, this is the guy from White Lion, but. You know, we did a couple of White Lion tunes. We did them very different. You know, Mike's become a singer-songwriter, um, and he's, you know, like Brian Adams, uh, Bruce Springsteen, Dylan kind of stuff. So, you know, we took those, those few White Lion songs and made them fit into his solo stuff, you know. So it wasn't a White Lion show by any stretch, but it was it was good music, you know. Well, how did you guys get around? Was it, were you in a van? Were you we in a car? In a van with a trailer, yeah. We had a British... Uh, sound guy who was sort of our tour manager and uh yeah we cruised around and did it old school in a van was it fun i mean was it i mean you were how old were you uh well let's see what i was 30 okay so yeah. and then back and at that point your body can take the party i mean now when yeah. i did comedy on the road it was like a, a night you know it was like you could do it because you your body could now you, you my body can't take it you know <laughs> it's like god but so was it what was it eye-opening i mean did you really did you really love playing every night into different crowds or was it a little challenge or what you know it, no i i did it was awesome i was uh i was wide-eyed and you know but super eager and 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 i um started to you know I noticed it was like we had, we had Tramp and we had Jerry on bass and we had Kenny on guitar myself and then we had this sound guy who was you know he was our front of house guy and uh, you know driver sort of tour manager but you know I'd find out that we'd end up at the club and there wouldn't be hotels waiting for us or there wouldn't be food or there wouldn't be certain things that you know that you you know when you're thinking about going on tour you hear oh yeah man you show up and there's like a deli tray and some right. sodas and you know you think and we're showing up I'm like where's there's no deli trays or sodas for us <laughs> a vending machine and yeah, yeah you know we got changed for a dollar so it's it, it was uh, you know I started seeing this and I started seeing Mike become a little frustrated because I think this was his first time back in America in quite some time touring as a band. I think he'd done some acoustic things, but that's a whole different demand. That's really easy. You can take your acoustic guitar, right. play anywhere. Exactly. You know, hey, I need one beer and, and you know, a, a hamburger. It's you, People accommodate that, but when you're a band and you're traveling, you know, a lot of the details go to the to the wayside. So I'm starting to notice all this stuff. I see the frustration in Mike, you know, because, you know, here Mike was, uh, you know, platinum-selling artist, and now we're playing, you know, crappy clubs in the Midwest and... Uh, promotions wrong and the hotels aren't ready so i started you know like taking over and started advancing shows and hey well i'm gonna call the club for tomorrow 
and let them know that we're getting there at three. And right. can you have the hotels ready for us? You know, and I just started making these phone calls and making these things happen. And that's how I learned to, to sort of tour manage. You know, it was it was like it, it was either going to happen or not going to happen. Right. And nobody else seemed to be stepping up. And I was like, well, I, you know, I'd like to, you know, after a ten hour drive, take a shower, not sit at a club. Right. Two hours waiting for the guy to, you know, get back from the bank to get the whole, you know. No, I want get the keys ready when we're there, man. And it started, like, happening. The second half of the tour really went smoothly. And um, I've taken those things and, and I've actually become a tour manager for a couple of different bands. Okay. And it's sort of a second little uh, career. Because I do love the business about it. And I, and I love, you know, playing venues and booking shows. And, I'm, you know, kind of getting all over the place. But... Um, that tour was sort of like boot camp. Okay, so and you learned uh, you you what winged it? You basically you were winging it. You were like yeah. I don't know, I, but you said I'm I can either be a victim or rise from it, and exactly. then you made the right choice. Exactly. So how long did that tour last for? It was like six weeks. Okay, yeah. so uh, you said it earlier. I'm sorry. Um, so where do you go from there? You know, from there, um, I got hired. You know, so Tramp went back to uh, Europe. He's uh, Danish, and although he's all over the place these days, but he was back in Denmark. And um, so I was looking for the next gig, you know, and uh, I got uh, answered an ad for a band that was going out on an international tour uh, looking for a drummer. They were doing kind of, um, you know, kind of a power, kind of like Power Man 5000, you know, kind of power metal, but they had these two black girl singers. So it was like this kind of modern metal meets Sly and the Family Stone. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Right. So I went down and auditioned for that. And it turns out this was a band called Volcanic, and we did uh, like four weeks with Everclear and Nickelback in Canada. So that was my next thing, you know, and there was a lot of rehearsals and stuff. And uh, although that was sort of a short-lived project, it was a fun one. Were they bigger venues? Oh, yeah, we were playing hockey arenas. So what's that yeah. like? And I mean... That was my first, like, you know... Yeah, that, you're, that's your rock star. I mean, that's... Yeah. I mean, I don't care, you know, even if it's if you're not the headlining band, you're playing in front of 20,000. You're a rock star. I mean, that's all it is. You can't sit there and go, well, we, we... No, you're a rock star. What was it like? I mean, now, I mean, were chicks just throwing you? I mean, is it true all the stuff they say about the, the rocks, like women? Like Phil Verona, I mean, Phil has stories yeah. out the ass. I mean, he's <laughs> crazy. It's like you sit there and go... He He's like he loves it. You just sit there. And I don't even. I let him talk the whole time. I'm like, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Just tell him. Tell me another story, Phil. What you and a mom and her daughter? That's sort of sick. But you've done it three times. Okay. No. What was it? I mean, I was. We're like. We're. I mean, were women just all over like hanging out with you guys? Or I mean, what was it like? Yeah, you know, um, I was pretty shy back then, and uh, you know, I still I'm still pretty modest these days, but uh, and I certainly couldn't compete with Phil Verone and his stories. He's got he's got great stories. Oh, he's crazy. But, All you uh, drummers, though. <laughs> I, I, what is it with drummers? Why is everyone... That's so funny. I, I joke around. My friend John, I went to college with John Brew, has a, a shore bar, uh, band, a cover band down the shore called the Brew Crew. Okay. And whenever he puts up things, I always make jokes about drummers because everyone just says, you guys are crazy. Who? How did that start? I mean, everyone says, watch out for the drummers. You well, know? I think it's because we're unassuming. You know, you've got the lead singer who's, you know, he's he's the guy. He's like, listen, I don't even need an instrument. I'm up here just right, okay. me, you know. So there's a whole <laughs> ego in itself right there, right? And then, then you've got the lead guitar player who's like, listen, I know we're all playing this song together, but there's going to be a minute where it's just me doing my solo and I'm going to go to the front and compete with the other guy that doesn't, you know, have an instrument being the singer. So you've got these two sort of, you know, guys battling each other. And then, you know, you've got the bass player, and he's, well, he's just the bass player. They, they always just hang out. It's, like, it, it's, it's so funny. It goes back to Bill Wyman. Like, when you see the Stones video, him and Charlie Watts are just like, okay. yeah. Yeah, the ba- you know, but listen, the bass player is like the glue of the band, you know. So he sits and does his thing. And then the drummers are just sort of, uh, 
you know, kind of like a cat in the bushes or something, just kind of, you know, waiting for their time. And when it's, you know, they kind of watch everybody else do their own thing, and then uh, they plot their move, I guess is how it goes. That's know? cool, though, because when everyone <laughs> says drummers are crazy, they always go, oh, my God. They're, and, but they're like, you know, you guys are like the, the crazy ones. Yeah, you know, there are some. I mean, you've got guys like Phil Verone, Tommy Lee, you know, you've got... Uh, you Keith know, Moon guys, is nuts. Yeah, you know, he's out I mean, of his mind, you know. And then you've got, you know, the other guys that are a little bit more... And I, I think I tend to fall on this side of that fence. Um, you know, the business-minded guys. I mean, there's a lot of drummers that actually, you know, kind of run their band. You know, Frankie Benali, he runs quite right he's essentially the manager you know he books the shows he's very very hands-on you know so you've got guys like that that um you know see all the different details and then they delegate to people to see them through but you know guys like benali are very hands-on with what their band is doing and you know what their career is doing you know and then you've got you know other guys you know like tommy lee and phil verone yeah <laughs> who, know, just nuts. who are just you know sleeping with daughters and mothers so. i know so, so what so we're women like all because you know you're a young guy you're in a, you're on stage i mean the bottom line is you're yeah. a rock star is it where women just like or did they all want to meet the guy from everclear or whatever his name is alex or art circus yeah well you know you know of course uh you know everybody was wants to meet the headliner but um those guys are always you know sort of uh you know incognito like after the show they're done they're on their bus you know um we were out on a promotional tour so to speak and so it was all about us after the show being at the merch booth or coming up in the pit and taking pictures and meeting people you know so yeah i mean people were very generous and wanted to you know meet you and take photos with you and stuff like that but i don't you know i don't have any real stories i was actually trying to uh sleep with one of the uh, backing singers. Okay. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, it's when you've got sand at the beach, why? Exactly. <laughs> you know, so look it, for something else. That tour was for six weeks. That was, uh, that was about a month long. And that was your first taste of like these big crowds. Playing big places. Yeah. I mean, we were playing hockey arenas and now, it was awesome. Now, okay, the tour is coming to end. Do you somewhat go through a depression because you're, if you don't, you're, you, you went from playing 200, PC venues and you, anyway you're still playing and you love what you do yeah. but did it did, was it a little depressing thinking oh god now I, I may have to go back and go into a 400 seat arenas which is still good yeah. but from after playing I mean just the, the what's the energy like I mean is it just do you is it is it I mean just with all those people is the energy that goes through your body is it just are you just like on a complete high I mean I know doing comedy when you're in a good set in front of 200 people it's great but you're in front of 25,000 people I mean what what is it like what's that feeling you know it, it's sort of you know I, back then because it was so new to me i was very aware of my surroundings and very aware of you know oh my god there's a you know a blonde over there or that dude with a sign over there like you really notice all this stuff i think the older i get um the more kind of autopilot kind of kicks okay. in and you go out there and you just kick ass for you know however long your set is and then you just go, wow, that was really awesome. But um, I don't think I internalize or, or you know, I don't, I don't think I, I notice everything because I think that throws you off your game a little bit, you know. I, I think, you have to concentrate. I mean, yeah, you know, you just have to go out there and do what you do, you know. And I think once you start focusing on different things or, you know, God, this blue light's distracting to me, that's when you, that's when you stumble, you know. So, you know, back then I was very aware of, all these things happening. I, I wanted, I was a sponge, man. I wanted to take it all in and, and, and see it, you know. And so, uh, and there were some there were some internal problems on that tour. I actually almost left that tour. Okay. Um, 
the singer and I got into something. He, you know, he was he was banging the one the other girl, and I had the hots for the one chick, but he didn't want me to have. You know, it was a whole weird thing. You know, it always comes down to chicks. You know, right. it's never you know because I wasn't performing good <laughs> right. enough. I was kicking ass out there every night. And you know we weren't making a lot of dough because we were the support act on a on a three band bill. You know so, um, and it was Art who you know from Everclear said, "Listen, you get you, you know you got to stick this out, and you know don't worry about those guys." And uh, and so he encouraged me to to see the the tour through. You know, okay. he's like, "Listen, you committed to this, you got to see it through." You know, and and so I played the rest of the dates and. And w- in fact, the band was signed to Arts. Uh, he had a, had a label back in the day called Popularity Records. And so, you know, and that was kind of back in the day when all the different artists were trying to have vanity labels. You know, they wanted to, everybody wanted to be a, a record owner, or, you know, a record company owner. So that was Arts thing, and we were the band. And when we got back, that band and that whole relationship dissolved itself, and, and it was had nothing to do with me, right? Because I just kind of stepped in as a higher gun, you know. So, yeah, when I got back, I was I'm looking for the next thing, you know. Um, putting together another band or you know whatever you know you want to get out and play and stuff and uh but uh yeah it was it was tough coming from playing these hockey arenas in canada in the middle of winter to you know coming back to sunny la going all right what's next no what, where did you go you know uh god there's a gap in time uh from like oh two to oh five where i was just kind of doing some local stuff doing some studio things and you know working a day gig and um and then 2005, Mike Tramp said, hey, listen, uh, I'm putting White Lion together, and I'm picking all the guys from the different areas that I've uh, played. You know, So he had a band in, in uh, Denmark, so we got the Danish bass player. He had gone down to Australia, so we got the guy that he played guitar with in Australia. The American drummer here uh, was his drummer, and then we got a keyboard player from uh, Germany. So we put together this international sort okay. of, you know... Uh, banned this version of White Lion in 2005, and we did our first U.S. tour in 2005 and put out a live thing and uh, live CD. And um, we did that for about four years, um, doing different things. Uh, we put out a, a, a an original album, the first White Lion album since '91. And uh, you know, there's there's people out there who say, well, there's no Vito Brada, so it's not White Lion. It's like you know, whatever. It's and listen, Mike Tramp wrote. 50% of those songs and Mike Tramp put that band together you know in New York and and you know it's it's very much Vito's bands as it is Mike's I get it but uh you know Mike was the voice in the face of White Line and, and he wrote those songs and uh so we went out as White Line and that's what we were you know so you toured the, the world yeah man we went to uh India Indonesia we did like 40 countries in 2008 we what were out was, for nine months what was India like I mean because you know I, I had a friend who just uh did comedy over there and he said it was amazing but he also said it's very uh and he's Indian and he said uh, it's very depressing you know because like the, the there's a lot of poverty there oh yeah absolutely I mean, so what's it like i mean what what kind of state what what did you play what kind of venue we played a uh, a soccer you know they call it football out there uh a stadium uh we played two shows one show is in dimapur and the other show is in shillong and uh we played like dimapur was over thirty thousand people and shillong was almost forty three thousand people so we're playing this you know this big soccer stadium essentially and the stage is built out of bamboo you know the lights all the pars are hanging from like this bamboo it was really amazing you know um you know considering they have nothing there they've got they got the biggest hearts in the world i mean really they're passionate about everything they do and you know if they don't have five bucks in their pocket um they've got you know a heart of gold it's it's it was a 
an amazing it, it was life changing for me I've been back there twice did you did you after the show did you get to meet the people did oh you, yeah and did you hang out I mean and did they know I mean they probably were you don't look like in the in, you don't yeah. look Indian they probably knew I mean if they see you like you're a musician how did they take to you were they were they in awe to it, meet you it was or? it was like the Beatles. It really was like the Beatles, you know, everybody says, you know, I mean, that's kind of a, a thing that musicians can relate, you know, not relate to all the time, but you, you know, I, you know, Beatles, you know, when you show up to the airport and there's 500 people waiting for you or whatever, it was like that. I mean, there were billboards all over the markets that we played out there. It was huge that the band was coming out there. I mean, we did two shows. White Line had never been out there. Um, we played in front of, you know, 75,000 people out of these two shows. I mean, it's just crazy. amazing when you think about it, when it's, saying it's so poverty-ridden, but yet they, they know your music. They know White Line's music, which just amazed you. Like, that it reaches that Yeah, part, like yeah. they said that when, when, when Muhammad Ali was at the top of his game, like he went through Africa where they didn't have TVs yeah. or anything, but everybody knew. He was, the, he was the world's most famous man. Yeah. And they said everyone, everyone, like kids, People who never saw the TV, never saw, everyone knew who he was. And it's just weird that, you know, you guys sit there and you go there and they know your music. Just, they probably don't have record players. It's, it's just weird how the music passes and stuff. Yeah, no, it, it, it was amazing. And it's, it's a time I'll never forget. I mean, it really just was like, holy cow, this is awesome. Now, did you go back there in the music facility or did you go back to vacation or did you go back because you loved it and it changed your life or what, what made you go back you I, said two I, times yeah I went back there uh, a couple years ago with a band I put together called Lost Angels and basically it's kind of a, an all star band uh, we've, we've got uh, at the time uh, we had uh, our bass player Muddy and uh, he's playing with uh, Chris Robinson from Black Crows okay. and uh, he played with Mark Ford who was also in Black Crows in a band called Burning Tree so, so we had Muddy on bass we had John Karabi who was in the Scream Union and uh, did uh, like a stint with Motley Crue for about five, six years. And then we had uh, Eric Dover singing and playing second guitar, and he was Slash's uh, first singer when Slash left GNR and played in Alice Cooper for many, many years. So okay. uh, we had this sort of all-star kind of band, and we did music from all of our catalogs and did some other kind of classic rock stuff that we did, you know. So we went back there and did two shows, and, you know, considering nobody knew what the heck it was and, you know, I had only been out there once. Um, we did like seven thousand people at two different shows. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's you know you sit there and think that, like that's nothing to you know scoff at. That's seven thousand people in in a country that has a lot of poverty. It's not like here where it's like you can't get ten people out for some shows. I mean, it's unbelievable. It, it's so it's so funny. I look at it and it's like and that's the big thing about the LA comedy scene too. I mean, I dabble in comedy a little bit, mm -hmm. but you know you go to these shows here, it's free, no one's there. But then last. Two weeks ago, I'm at, at Parks Casino in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Twenty bucks a head to get in. Place is packed, you know. And it's like it's just amazing. Like people just don't people miss. And there's so many great musicians. There's probably so many great shows yeah. that probably don't cost. And all you heavy metal guys, you you know, when you play, you have friends. You probably get drop-ins if there's just. You, I mean, impromptu jazz. I mean, jam sessions. Probably people drop in all the time. Yep, yep. So you did indie with them. Now, what's the next time you went back to India? Uh, well, that was that was my second time okay. so uh i guess i said i went back there twice but i've been there twice okay. total yeah so um in fact i was supposed to be coming back from india i saw that on facebook like, today <laughs> what happened with that well you know um good friend of mine and uh promoter um i, I you know i guess uh, sponsor sort of changed directions or something he was having an anniversary for his magazine and they ended up uh, getting hoobastank and uh they were trying to work us in as the opening act, and something happened, so we didn't the, go out there. The so. All-Star Band? Yeah, yeah. It was going to be uh, you know, Lost Angels, and we were going to bring uh, Millie from Steelheart as a special guest singer. Because you know, the thing about uh, you know, 
Indonesia, India, and those markets, the Asian markets and stuff like that, they're huge on ballads. Ballads are so big out there. So, you know, while, you know, weight was a big hit here in America, so was When the Children Cry, they know When the Children Cry. You know, they know those, uh, you know, Cry for Freedom is another okay. song, you know. Um, they know that uh, Never Let You Go song by Steelheart. They know all the ballads. And it's those ballads that open them up to, you know, exploring the albums. But they're huge on ballads out That's there. That's weird. They love it. They must, that monster, that rock, rock ballads, or that, that monster yeah. rock ballads must sell huge over right? there. Right, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, we would go to cafes for, you know, for lunch or whatever, and you would hear, you know, you know Winger and Bon Jovi and, you know, Trickster, all these ballads. I'm where did you guys get That's this so stuff? Weird. That's so yeah. weird. That is odd because it's like it's like yeah, it's like wait, and it's like not even their best song sometimes. You know, it's like it's not it's it doesn't show the musicians. You guys, they're great songs, but yeah. it's like you're not rocking. So they probably think like that. You know, when they when you went with the uh, when you went to how many people seventy thousand thirty thousand whatever yeah. they probably thought that you guys were just. <laughs> I'll be playing ballads. Gonna go up there and play ballads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing, you know, El Salvador and you know some other heavier songs. But uh, you know, they they were a great rock crowd. I mean, they they like to rock out there for sure. But what were when you were in that big tour? What were some of the other cities you really enjoyed, Uh, or just that you, or something that you got what you didn't expect? Like you went to place and you said, "Wow, this is just insane." Was there some crowds that just ate you up, just loved you guys incessantly? Tokyo, Japan. Uh, I went there with a band called Pretty Boy Floyd. Uh, It was kind of a glam band. They had one album like 25, 28 years ago. And uh, they're still, you know, I, I don't. I think they're they, the singer and the guitar player are fighting these days, but um, they'll get it back together at some point. They kind of go through these little, you know, like a married issues. couple. Yeah, it's total. Those guys should definitely get married. But um, yeah, so Tokyo was great, and uh, and then also on that same trip we went to Australia. So I went to Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane, and it was it was awesome. And I've since been back to Australia with Lost Angels just before Christmas, and. Um, yeah, so I, I I love Australia, and I, and I'm looking to get back into Tokyo. So um, trying to find a promoter out there to bring us back. Do, do they just? Is it that they just like? Is it because the crowd appreciates you, or just it's just a different? It's just a different lifestyle when you go over there, or what makes it so that you love it so much? Well, you know, for 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 me, for Tokyo, uh, you know, considering you know, there's a huge language barrier because you know the English is very very little out there, and uh, I don't speak a lick of. Japanese, you know, so our only common bond is the music and, you know, they know all the words to the songs out there. And so, you know, here we have this, you know, we, we can't get along in any other way, but we can with this music. Okay. So here, you know, here you're bringing us out so we can play our music for you and you're giving it back to us because you appreciate it. And that to me is awesome because, you know, it's, it's, you know, the international language. I mean, really, you know, music has, you know, brings, you know, fans and brings people so much it's it's given me so much to go out there to to visit these other countries you know it, it just is amazing that somebody you know can write a song and you know and how that's even done is is pretty amazing well, you yeah. know and then to find somebody that really likes it and then find somebody that likes it enough that when you come to town they want to come and see you perform it i mean it really is cool man you know well, I, yeah it, and they, it's i mean it, process yeah i mean it, it's crazy I mean, it starts from just an idea and then it's you know, out there and people go to see it. So I saw I saw your website. What's your website? Tell people your website. Uh, DrummerTroy.com. And I'm on all the social media things. You know, you can just Google Troy Patrick Farrell and I'll show up, uh, you know, probably on Mugshots.com too somewhere, right? Yeah, that's how I just found out a guy I went to college. I saw him on <laughs> Mugshots. I heard the story. I went, oh my God, we used, used to smoke pot back in 84 with this guy. Now yeah. this? Oh my God. And my one goes, oh, my buddy goes, well, he always seemed a little bit off. I go, not that off. I'll, I'll tell you off there. But, uh, so now, you, when you go to your website, is that is that Los Angeles the band? 
Well, you know, Lost Angels is a separate website, so that's uh, LostAngelsLive.com. But, but there's uh, a band. There's a guy from Cinderella. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so um, so this is kind of going back to the India thing. Uh, we had gone out there for the first time, and then uh, we were looking to go to Europe. Oh, actually, uh, going to Australia first. And Muddy wasn't able to do it. So we that's where we got uh, Eric Brittingham from Cinderella, the bass player from Cinderella. And, and Eric's been playing with us ever since. We went to Europe and did nine countries in uh, in January and February of this year. So um, I'm starting to get this Lost Angels out in different markets. Our next market is going to be the fall, and it's, uh, we're going to uh, Peru and Chile and Mexico. So, now, who's in the lineup now of Los Angeles? Is it all the same? Well, you know, John Crabby's been um, really working his solo career. He's out in Nashville, and uh, he just put out an album. Is he doing country album. music? or I mean, No, no, no. He, you know what he's doing is he's sort of doing kind of Nashville renditions of his catalog, you know, okay. just to kind of reintroduce himself. Right. Uh, John and I did a tour back in 2010, and, um, and then he moved out to Nashville, and, uh, you know, somebody said you know hey listen you got to put an album out and so he didn't really have a band so he started reworking his songs acoustic because he's like listen if i don't have a band i'm going to go out and do something so he started doing like hooligans holiday which is a really heavy motley crew tune you know that they put out in 94 and um and so john did kind of a swamp boogie nashville version of okay it, and it's really cool so he goes wow that's kind of cool so he started doing his other songs that way to kind of go hey i'm john karabi i'm back here's some songs you might know i'm doing them a little bit different just to kind of reintroduce himself. And so he's been out touring and, and been quite busy doing that. And, um, you know, the Lost Angels thing is is really meant to um, help propel us in our other things, you know. And it's our other things that allowed us to put Lost Angels together. So, you know, we know where its place is. It's not the primary focus. It's kind of like, hey, what do you do in September? You, you, you oh, we're all free. Great. So John's not going to be able to do the South American run. So we're going to get Jeff Labar, the guitar player from Cinderella. Okay. And so we're going to have two guys from Cinderella and myself. And um, Eric Dover, of course. Eric will always be with me. He's he's like uh, the secret weapon. That guy can sing and play anything. How do you get these guys? Like you said, two guys from Center. How do you, I mean? You work with them once, and then they say, "We'll get this guy." I mean, how does it work? Is it is it just reference, or and do you do you audition them? Because it seems like you do all the booking and stuff like that. So. I mean, you're doing the tour managing, right? Yeah, so yeah. It comes if 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 it doesn't work out, you're the one who hears the crap. The band doesn't hear the crap. You hear it. They're gonna be like, "What the hell did you give us?" You know, well, that's not what we expected. Do you do you have to sit there and audition these people, or just because? I don't know. It, it, would, it must be hard to audition someone when you know them and they've had a success. You guys are all successful, and it must sort of be like. And then once again, you say egos. It must sort of been like if you say, "I oh, know this guy's no good," the guy's probably like. Woo, woo. The hell is in Cinderella? You know what I mean? How does it work? Well, you know, with uh, with Eric Dover living in L.A., I've I've seen him play for years, and uh, I know he's like that guy can sing and do anything. He's he's insane. Why he's not fronting a huge band? Okay, I, I don't get it. There's you know uh, when I think Slash and uh, Duff and those guys were putting together Velvet Revolver, and it's like I know Slash worked with Eric before, but uh, he's awesome. Like I said, I, I don't know why he's not in some big band, but. Uh, so, you know, with Brittingham, uh, you know, it, it's so funny. He almost did a White Lion tour with us in 2008 because Cinderella was off. And um, so we got connected. I got connected with his wife. And then it just didn't work out because of he was the fa- he was in Nashville. So we got uh, EJ Curse, uh, who played in a band called Silent Rage, who's another kind of 80s band. It was on Gene Simmons' label. Okay. Anyway, so EJ did that whole run with us. Um, so back to Brittingham, um, Eric and I were, were friends just because we all run in the same circles and because I know John Karabi, they live in Nashville together. Uh, Eric put a thing, hey, uh, on his Twitter, hey, I'm uh, you know free this year. Anybody, anybody need a bass player? I sent him a message. I'm like, yep, I, na- I need one. So he lives in Nashville? Lives in Nashville. But he's from New Jersey. 
Well, he's um, well, he's actually from Maryland, but uh, that band broke out of Philly. Yeah, because they yeah, yeah they're, they're, the um, they're, the galaxy was in Somerdale. Yes, yeah, that's why that's yeah. funny. So so. Um, it must be cool. Do you guys play, like, you'll play some Cinderella songs? Yeah, we do some Cinderella tunes, and when John's in the band, we do some Motley stuff and some Scream and Union. Uh, with Eric Dover, we do Alice Cooper and, and uh, you know, Slash of Snake Pit. See, that's so cool, because, and that's really, I mean, those are, like, the concerts you want to see. Like, I saw uh, Ringo Starr's Traveling All-Stars a few yeah. years ago. Yeah, And it's, it's, it's a great time, because, one... If you don't if you don't know the name right off, like when I saw Cinderella, it's like okay, well then you you, you think okay, well are they going to play their song? But then it's like that's such a selling point because everyone knows you're going to know at least half the song somewhat. Yeah, and course. if you guys do a uh, Beatles or whatever song, you're gonna, you guys are going to do it good because you're professionals. I mean that just sounds like a fun concert. You know, um, we had a hard time in Australia, and it was it, it, it was a hard time initially because they didn't know how to sell the band. They were like, well, what do you guys do? You know, can you get, give us your set list? And I'm like, well, I, I don't want to tell people what songs we're doing. But, you know, you're getting a cover band with the guys that play the song. Right. So you're going to get a Cinderella tune with the bass player from Cinderella. You know, like that guy's, you know, yeah. you'll, you'll go see, you know, whatever band, you know playing covers and you'll pay and you know whatever but why this is, is this a big deal that right we're the same thing but we're the guys that play and they're not the covers because <laughs> you guys they played it yeah, you know so it was it was really weird for me to try and i couldn't understand the concept that nobody understood what it was so you know i, I tried to say listen we're a cover band with the guys that play in the bands that we cover you know so we're going to do cinderella we're going to do motley we're going to do all you know white lion whatever we're going to do all these bands and it just so happens that you know listen cinderella's not been down to australia you know well now we're getting a piece of it here, you right. know. So, it, it you know it after we did the shows, everybody got it, you know. And I was still just confused as to how they didn't get it in the first place. How do you come up with the set list? Well, you know, it's it's pretty easy because we all know what catalogs to pull from, and then you start, you know, hey, how deep do we go? Do we go deep cuts or do you, you know? It's like now you just play the play the hits, you know. Now, it's, it's pretty easy. Now you have to go. No, now, but now everyone has to learn all those other songs, though. Oh yeah. yeah. Now that must be a hard process because you're you, all of a sudden. You're learning. I mean, I can see like when you're in a band, like when you went on tour with White Lion. Yeah, I got it right. Yep. See that? I don't know why I'm, people would get it confused. Like, it happens all the time. But when you went on tour with them, you were playing just their catalog. Yeah. And so you there's you get used to probably what they play. There's certain inter, you know th- habits. Let's say the guitarist does this, so you get to know that. So it's easier. It's a group. But when you're doing this, now you have to learn. Five different. It must be hard, especially for the drummer, because you you're like you're the backbone of the band. I mean, yeah. you guys are keeping the beat. I mean, do you guys have to practice a lot, or what? What's yeah, the you know, um, it's it's kind of a throw and go. But yeah, the guys fly out uh, two days before, and uh, we rehearse down at uh, Nightingale Studios in Burbank, and um, then we hop on a plane and we go to Australia. You know, and we'll brush up on some stuff out and sound check. Um, but uh, yeah, it's you know, we all just you know like everybody have your your act together. When we get together, and we'll we'll kind of work through the pieces, and uh, I, I'm sometimes amazed at you know sometimes rehearsal. You know, we're all kind of getting. I had never met Eric Birdingham, you know, so here we're we're playing together, and we're just kind of talking, and you know, they're a little jet lagged, and we got a long flight in a couple of days, so we kind of like brush through the material a little bit, and then you know we go there, and then you see it on stage, and you go, God. I, how did that all come together? Because we didn't really go through it as well. Probably because <laughs> you guys are all. 
talented professional. Yeah, so it's gotta, like anything, you just get in a groove. Probably you got to follow your instinct, and you and uh, you know, and there's a lot of you know a lot of looking, a lot of communication, and then once you get that first show under your belt, then you can kind of go from there. You know, we have a little under five minutes left. All right, cool. Um, what um, now? Are you going to be in Vegas with this band? Or well, th- now this is a different. Uh, this is where Jeff Labar sort of comes into place. Because um, I saw your web. I checked your website out. Yeah, you know, it's it, I'm kind of a mercenary, so sometimes people are like, "Dude, what band are you in this day?" You know, I'm I'm just a you know people. Hey, I need a drummer. Cool, I'll come out and do it, and you know, we put together a photo and we go play. But yeah, this band's called Cheap Thrill, and I just played with them uh, last weekend in uh, in Colorado, and basically. Um, Short story long, Cheap Thrill started off with Brandon Gibbs, who's uh, an up-and-coming singer from, uh, he's from Iowa, but he's been cutting his teeth in Nashville. Okay. And uh, he had a band with his brother called the Gibbs Brothers. He's gone off on his own now. Uh, he and Brittingham are good buddies. Started doing acoustic versions of his stuff, kind of throwing in some Cinderella, doing some different versions of different songs. Uh, Jeff Labar came in, and then it was like, hey, you guys should do a full band. You've got the guys, you know, the acoustic stuff's great, but let's do a full band. So they got... Uh, Chaney Brannon uh, on drums from Collective Soul, playing drums with him out on the East Coast and, uh, you know, Midwest and stuff. And it turns out Chaney couldn't do this run in, in uh, Denver. And so because Eric and I played together in Los Angeles, Eric goes, hey, man, can you do this Denver date? You know, so we did three shows there. And then uh, we started talking about doing some other stuff. And so Vegas came up. I've got some good friends at Vamped in Vegas. Corey and um, and Danny the Count, so they invited us to come up and do a show there in a couple of weeks. So we're up there in Vegas on the twelfth at uh, Vamped, and we're doing the Monsters Rock cruise, which is a big cruise. I think it's their third year, and they've got like forty bands on. With it. this band, with Cheap Thrill, I'll be okay. there doing with Cheap Thrill. You know, so um, yeah, you know, so I'm I'm always doing a little bit this, that, and the other. You know, does the road ever burn you out? Do you ever get? I mean, because you know, and the thing is, when you go on, it's not like like comics go on the road; they go state to state. You go worldwide. Is it just like knock your ass out sometimes? You know, sometimes it does, but you have to sit there and go, man, I'm I'm in Italy today and tomorrow, and I'm in Germany, and the next day I'm in Spain. Yeah, it, it's pretty awesome. I mean, you don't get to see much. People are like, oh my god, you get to travel all these great places. You don't see you see hotels, airports, and you know, inside of vans, and you know, so. You don't get to see as much as, as you'd hope. But, um, you know, the second I get burned out, shortly I come home and I'm home for a day going, all right, I'm burned out. I'm being home. Man. Yeah, I'm you're probably so used road. to That's yeah. weird for me. Like, yeah. I've been going back and forth back east. And it's weird. You get used to it. Then when you come back, it's, yeah, it's a weird thing. So any, any gigs coming up in L.A. that we can see anything or just? Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing with this band called the Raskins uh, on the 6th of July, this Saturday at the Viper Room. Okay. And uh, they just released a video called uh, Need Another Hero for an album coming out. And I'm in the video. They included me in the video, which is cool. They've got like 350,000 hits on it. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so doing the Raskins there, doing Vegas Cheap Thrill the next week. And then I'm going out and doing some tour managing with a band called Ven Ray. And uh, we're doing some slash dates, so I'll be out there, you know, pushing some paper and, you know, keeping some not guys playing, in line. just not playing, just tour managing. Do you, you know? That's probably a good break sometimes. You know, I dig it, I because I, I, I dig all aspects of uh, music and industry, and and uh, you know, we're gonna I get to see how the big boys do it. You know, we'll be out with Slash and this other band called Hillbilly Harold. So it'll be a learning, it'll be a learning experience. Yeah, too. it's awesome. We did Alice Cooper last year, and and I, I you know. That's the big leagues, and I like to see that stuff. So that's you know? cool. And, and when, w- if I choose to not play drums anymore, I'm hoping I can uh, get into that's some management. Perfect. You know, I love it. So give your info again for the people. Yeah, hey, uh, drummertroy.com, and you know I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. You can just uh, Google Troy. What's Patrick your Twitter? And, uh, drummer TPF at drummer TPF on Twitter, and uh, I reply to everybody and and uh, have a good little group of friends on there. So uh, I stay in touch with everybody. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. I'm glad Steve, I, I'm glad for... I got you on. And uh, yeah, Steve, this yeah, is so awesome. People, check it out. What's that video? 
Uh, we'll need another, need another hero by the Raskins. Check yeah. it out. You can see Troy. He's, he's playing drums. He's got long hair, unlike me. Ah. He's got hair. I want to thank you. So, yeah, check him out. Check out his website. Uh, follow him on Twitter. See what's going on. And, you know, go see that band because all, all his bands sound great. If, when uh, the, I, I want to go see him when you play L.A. I want to go see you guys. I'll put you on the list. I'll be on the list. That's cool. <laughs> and people, follow me at Cooper Talk on Twitter, at Cooper Talk. Also, my website is coopertalk.net. I have about 150, 170 episodes up there. Um, what else? Oh, uh, email me, cooper at indie100, dot 100com This Friday, I'll be at the Flappers at the 1130 show in the YooHoo Room. Listen to me every Thursday night at midnight. Pacific Coast time on the Big Daddy Graham show on WIP Philadelphia Sports Radio. I'm talking Hollywood. I'm on there for like 15 minutes. And you can uh, go to iTunes or you can go to Stitcher Radio, type in Cooper Talk, one word, and you can check out all my past episodes or follow my on Facebook. It's Cooper Talk. I have a big page with all my shows. So anyway, I want to thank my guest, Troy Patrick Farrell. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. You guys have a wonderful weekend and I'll see you next week.